We're in week number three of a series that we're doing called I Ain't Afraid of No Ghost. I Ain't Afraid of No Ghost. Have you enjoyed the first couple of weeks so far? I pray that you have. It's been a great series. And really what we're doing is we're talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. And if you have, let me say this, if you've missed any of the previous weeks, I encourage you to jump back online. You can download the podcast. You can watch the Vimeo channel or YouTube channel. Check out the previous weeks of these series. Really, you can go back and watch any of our previous series that we've done here. And you can share those with family and friends. But especially this one, if you have missed uh, weeks one or two, I want you to jump in to the conversation with us. And, and here's what we're doing. We're looking at two verses of Scripture out of the, the book of Acts chapter 19. So if you have your Bible, I want you to flip there with me. Acts chapter 19. These two verses have become uh, our, our theme verse for the series, and it's really the foundational verses of this particular series. Let me give you a little bit of context here on Acts chapter 19 as you're finding that, and then I'll show you these two verses. But the book of Acts is a historical record of the first church. It's a, it's a, a history lesson on the early church. And Acts chapter 19 is actually coming somewhat near the end of, near the end of the book. And through the first 19 chapters, here's what's taking place. The disciples, the Christians, through the power of the Holy Spirit, they, they've been scattered. So now, now they're preaching everywhere. They're, they're all over. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, they're going from city to city. And those cities are being transformed to the power of Jesus Christ. They're going into different countries and whole countries are seeing an outpouring of revival and many people are being added to the church. They're experiencing salvation. And here's what's incredible about that to me is that God is using some ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Did you catch that? I mean, if you consider the disciples, these, these men did not have a ton of education they had no political clout. They had very little prestige, but they received the gift of salvation. And then they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And God used ordinary people to do extraordinary supernatural things. So that's kind of a recap of, of the book of Acts here. And then in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 and 2, here's where we pick up. So Apollos, who's an evangelist, he goes to a city called Corinth. Paul is going to a city called Ephesus, and when he arrives there, he meets some disciples. Now, this is important. These are already followers of Jesus. These are people that are already committed to the faith. And he asks them a question that I've been asking you over the last few Sundays, and here's what he says. He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And their response was this. They said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And, and church, I believe that a lot of people today, thousands of years after these events happen, there's a lot of people today, a lot of Christians today that would still say, I, I didn't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. I've never even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And I gave this to you already, but let me just kind of remind you that I really believe that people in general have a decent understanding or a concept of God as their father. We can kind of grasp that. At the end of the day, we all have a father. Whether that, healthy is unhealthy, whether that relationship is unhealthy or healthy, I don't know the dynamic, but we all have a father. Whether your dad is alive or he's passed on, I don't know that either, but I do know that, that we all have a father. So there's a part of us that can understand God's role as God the Father. 
And then I think that for the majority of us, we get God as the son, God coming to rescue us from our sin. We'll talk more about that in a moment. We understand the picture of Jesus. I mean, at the end of the day, at least there are some Christian movies about Jesus. Jesus with his long, beautiful blonde hair and blue eyes. and He looks Swedish or something. I don't know. But you get the idea of Jesus in the movies. Where the confusion, though, comes in is about God operating as the third person of the Trinity in the form of the Holy Spirit. And that, that confusion, that misunderstanding, those misconceptions, and there's a variety of reasons that we end up that way with maybe a lack of understanding or a misconception about God as the Holy Spirit. And this has happened over 2,000 years. You see the generation in the Bible and then our generation today. This is one of the reasons that, that I felt compelled to do a series on the Holy Spirit. I want people to know that there is God the Father, there is God the Son, but there's also God the Holy Spirit. And God wants you to have an intimate friendship, an intimate relationship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. If you believe that, can you just say amen? Okay, because we're getting started. So let me give you, let me give you a quick recap of, of some vocabulary words that I've introduced in the first two weeks. We're going to start with the title of the series. You've heard me say this each week. We titled it, I Ain't Afraid of No Ghost. It's a catchy title, but at the end of the day, it's not 100% theologically accurate. Uh, a better translation would be Holy Spirit. I'll tell you more about that in a moment. I'm going to unpack that in just a second. We also learned that the Old Testament manuscript was written in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word to define or describe Holy Spirit is the word ruach. Ruach. And it means a wind or a breath. Then we learned that the New Testament was written primarily in the Greek language. And the Greek word used to define or describe Holy Spirit is the word pneuma. And similarly, it also means a current of air or a blast of breath or a strong breeze. Now, if you've missed weeks one and two, go back because I unpacked this quite a bit and you can learn more about these definitions there. But, but can I show you something that I learned this week in preparation of today? Okay, nobody said anything, but I'm going to say it anyway, all right? I want to show you something that, that the Lord showed me in preparation of today. Now, whenever we, in our English language, began to translate the scripture, and I don't really have a ton of time to pause there, but I do want to say this, that if you're trying to read your Bible, it's really important that you use a translation of scripture that you understand, I can't overemphasize that enough. I know that each translation has a varying uh, kind of accuracy. However, if you're just beginning to get into the Bible, just pick up a Bible that you can, when you read it, it makes sense to you. Does that make sense? Okay. But as we begin to translate the scripture, and there, there are dozens and dozens of translations now, when the translators got to this word, ruach, or in the New Testament, when they got to the pneuma of God, there was a problem. And the problem was this, and I just learned this, is that in our English language, we did not have a word that was accurate with the ruach of God or the pneuma of God. So they made up a word. And the word that they made up is the word spirit. Did you know that? Some of you may have knew that, but I didn't know that. They made up this English word to define the Ruach of God or the pneuma of God. Now, spirit in your Bible, it means wind or more accurately, it means, it means breath. 
But watch this. But the Ruach of God or the Pneuma of God doesn't really mean breath. They are breath. Did that, did that sink in with anybody? Like they're, they're not, they, they aren't really breath. They are, they are, they are breath. They, they are this, watch. There's no word, English word, to define or describe the Ruach of God or to define or describe the pneuma of God. At the end of the day, it's not the word breath. It is, it is breath. Let me show you a couple of verses because I want it to make sense the way that I saw it. Genesis 2, verse 7. This is uh, one chapter into the beginning of the Bible. It says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and do you see that? This is where the Ruach of God was. He breathed into his nostrils and watched the breath of life came. And man, that was from dust because of, watch, because of the breath of God became a living being. That's powerful. Let me show you the New Testament, John chapter 20. Now, John 20 is another perspective of the Great Commission. Okay, so we get our name, Go Church, from the Great Commission. This is John's perspective of the Great Commission. And this is what it says. It says that Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. There it is, the Great Commission. He's saying, all right, now it's time, it's time to go. Both campuses on the count of three say the word go. One, two, three. He says, I, I also send you. And then watch this. And this is so powerful. He says, and when he said this, he on them. He breathed life on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Come on, that's so good. So at the end of the day, the, the pneuma of God, the ruach of God is not the word breath. It's actually Okay, let me, let me tie all of this together because some of you look like a cow looking at a new gate and I just want to help So over the last couple of weeks, I've told you that, and I've used this illustration, that your life is like a sailboat, okay? And whenever the, the Ruach of God, the Pneuma of God, the Spirit of God, the of God enters your life, then it powers your sails. Are you with me? Now I'm going to give you something really profound, so lean in because I don't want you to miss it. Whenever there is no wind, a sailboat then becomes a rowboat. Now that made sense. Whenever there is no wind, then the sailboat becomes a rowboat. And now let me ask you a question. Which approach requires more effort? Sailing or rowing? Well, the answer is obvious. No doubt rowing causes much more energy and effort and a necessity to rely on our own power. Now, let me just tie it all in. Watch this. That's why for some of you that continue to be in financial bondage, you were trying to row your way out of financial bondage, right? But at the end of the day, all you need is the of God. Y'all ain't gonna help me. I, I get it. That's why for so many people, their, their marriage is unhealthy and they are rowing and working to try to get a healthy marriage. But if they would just let the 
of God come into the sails of their marriage. Now is it making sense? That's why for so many people, life always seems to be a struggle, man. Life always seems to be so difficult and you're working and you're rowing so hard to try to make life easy when at the end of the day, all you need is the of God. And when the breath of God, when the pneuma of God, when the ruach of God, when the Holy Spirit comes into your finances, comes into your marriage, comes into your life, life gets easier. Can I get 200 people? Come on. That would agree with what I'm saying. Man, I don't know about you, but there are seasons in my life where I just need the of God. Listen, at, at both of our campuses, you, you have felt in, in the past week or so, the temperatures begin to change and, and the wind begin to blow. And, and depending on your, your schedule each day, if you get up in the morning early, uh, last week, especially here in the South Metro Atlanta area, you walked out and you felt a <laughs> And if you were like me, you said, man, that feels good because I barely survived summer. Come on, somebody. Right? And when, you, and when the whew hits you, what do you say? You say, oh man, I like that. Let me tell you, church, the Holy Spirit just wants to breathe life into you. And God wants you to know him personally as the Father and personally as the Son. But if you will just embrace the whew, of God. That breath will fill up your cells and you will do more than you could ever do if you tried to row your way into your destiny. Come on one more time. Put your hands together, both campuses. Yeah. All right. That's what I learned this week. I thought I'd share it. Let me, let me give you some more good news because that's good news. God has three gifts for you. And I want you to write these three gifts down. I'll walk through each of these. God's got three gifts that he wants to give to you. You thought only Oprah gave away free stuff. No, no, no. God's got some free gifts and God wants you to possess these three gifts. So I don't want you just to know about them intellectually, but I want you to possess them personally. So I don't just want you to learn about these three gifts, but I want you, I want you to take ownership of them because the gifts are yours. The first one is this. God offers us the gift of eternal life. This is the gift of salvation. Anybody thankful for salvation, the opportunity to be saved? So, I mean, you, you've heard, if, you, if you've been around church for any period of time, you've heard someone preach the gospel. This is the gospel. It's John 3.16. God knew that you and I could not rescue ourselves. We could not save ourselves. So he sent us Jesus. Jesus took our place on the cross and he offered us eternal life. Now, here's why this is listed as gift number one. Listen to me, because until you get gift number one, you'll never have access to gift number two or number three. So let me say it like this. If you want what's behind curtain two and curtain three, you got to open curtain one. You listening to me? And so this is this. Let me say it like this. The other gifts are contingent upon you receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Which, by the, by the way, the only way to heaven is through Jesus. That's what we believe. So let me show you a verse that really proves that eternal life is a gift. It's Romans chapter number six. And I'm going to give you a ton of Bible today. So you need to take some notes. The Bible says this, that the wages of sin is death. So we've all messed up. We've all, we've all sinned. 
We've all fallen short of the glory of God. God knew that the only way that you could inherit eternal life is through someone paying a debt that you could not pay. So the payment of your sin, uh, the penalty of your sin, the wage, the amount of your sin is death. We deserve the death penalty, but God so loved the world that he gave us a gift. And the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Do you, do you see that? And that's important. And I, I want to make sure that, that you understand this because this gift of salvation stands alone. Here's what it means. You can't earn this gift. There's nothing you can do to work for this gift or, and I said this last week, you can't pay any particular amount of money to buy the gift. You can't volunteer enough hours. Here, here's something. You can't go to church enough just to be saved. You can't pray long enough and expect to be saved. You can't read your Bible from cover to cover and then say, well, I'm saved. No, no, no. Because religious obligation is not what makes you saved. It's about a relationship with Jesus to say, Jesus, you are the only way. I believe that God sent you to this earth. I confess my sin and I invite you to be Lord of my life. It's a free gift offered by grace. We talked about this last Sunday. I really dove into gift number one, but these are the foundational verses as to what we believe. Here's what it is. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by what? Grace. Come on, both campuses. By what? Grace. You have been saved through what? Grace. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And here it is. We just talked about it. Not by works so that none of you can boast. Because if you could save yourself, you'd brag about you. But the only way that we can be saved is through Jesus, God sending his son, to pay the penalty that you and I could not pay. Is that good? Are you glad for the opportunity to be saved? I am. But here's the second gift. The second gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it is through the conviction of the Holy Spirit that draws us to the place of salvation. So he's drawing us into the reality that we can't continue to rely on our own power. It's the Holy Spirit that's drawing us into the reality that I don't have to keep rowing my boat. I can just actually prop my feet up, let the of God control this thing and enjoy my life. But watch this. There's also an opportunity after the gift of salvation through the conviction of the Holy Spirit to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm going I'm to show you more of this. Let me, let me dive into this real quick. Acts chapter one, a couple of verses here. This is Jesus talking, and it says, on one occasion, Jesus was eating with them, and he gave them this command. This is another perspective of the Great Commission. He says, hey, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the what? Yes. Come on, do it again. Wait for the what? Yes. Wait for the gift that my father promised, which you heard me speak about. And here it is. This is critical to this conversation. For John baptized with water. Now, here, Jesus is referencing the first experience, the experience of salvation. He says, John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, a second gift, a separate experience. Now, the whole series has been about 
the person of the Holy Spirit. We talked about who the Holy Spirit was in week one. Last Sunday, we talked about the fruits of the Spirit, uh, what we get to, to put on display as we live in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Today will be all about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But next Sunday, I want to share with you about how to receive the Holy Spirit. That if you want the pneuma of God, the ruach of God, the breath of God in your life, then there are some things that you have to do and I have to do in order to say, okay, I want to be saved, but I also want to be filled with an outflowing of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's where I want to sit today, and it's the third gift, and it's called the spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts. So again, when we are in intimate friendship with the Holy Spirit, we produce fruits of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And then also when we are in friendship with the Holy Spirit, we discover the giftings that God has put on the inside of us. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are confused about spiritual gifts and that misunderstanding, that misconception, again, is not new to our generation alone. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, hey, now about these spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. Where I come from, that word is ignorant. I want you to be ignorant. Here's another translation. Now about spiritual gifts, I don't, I don't want you to be in the dark. And here's what I think happens. So many Christians, once they experience a gift of salvation, they put that period where a comma really is. And then they, because of confusion or misunderstanding or because they're in the dark, they refuse to dive into scripture or into an opportunity to learn more about the person and the power of the Holy Spirit, about the fruits of the Spirit and about spiritual gifts. And this is, my, this is what I've been praying all week for you. I don't want to be in the dark about the spiritual gifts that God has deposited on the inside of us. So maybe you're like me and you wonder, well, where, where did the misunderstandings come from? There is still a floating theology out there, and a theology is an interpretation of Scripture, the way that somebody studies and interprets the Bible. And this particular ideology or thinking is called cessationism. And some of you are familiar with this word cessationism, and others of you, this might be the first time you've ever seen this word or heard this word. It's not as difficult to define as it may seem. We get our, the, the root word of this is our English word, cease or ceased. So here's what cessationism teaches about spiritual gifts. Cessationism teaches that whenever the last disciple of Jesus died, that whenever the last apostle of Jesus died, then all of the spiritual gifts died with them. So here's what it means. That miracles, signs, and wonders died. The gift of tongues died whenever the last apostle died. And that theology is called cessationism. But you're a part of Go Church. And at Go Church, we don't believe in, nor do we preach, cessationism. We actually believe in, and we preach in, watch this, continuationism. Come on, somebody. Take that with all your isms. And this means that we believe that when the last apostle of Jesus died, that when the last disciple of Jesus died, miracles, signs, and wonders did not stop there. No, 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 no. But they continue on to the church today. Do you believe that with me? So, so the belief is, is that the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit did not die with the death of the apostles. Rather, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still available to the church today. Come on now. 
Now, I've been doing a lot of teaching and I've given you a lot of scripture, but I feel like preaching for just a moment, if that's all right. I believe that God is still in the miracle working business. Come on now. I really believe that. With everything in my heart, I really believe that God is still in the miracle working business, which by the way, and you need to lean in on this because I'm tired of the enemy and other Christians calling churches that believe in continuationism weird or awkward or spooky or strange. There is nothing weird or strange about seeing a miracle of God. Come on. Nothing weird about seeing a miracle of God. As a matter of fact, miracles, whenever a miracle happens on this earth, it's just a preview of the kingdom. It's a glimpse of heaven. It's a glimpse of glory. Because in that moment when God shows up and performs a miracle through the power of healing, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I, for a moment, we get a glimpse of the kingdom. We get a glimpse of eternity because in heaven, there is no sickness. Come on, help me preach. There is no disease. There is no cancer. Come on. Yeah. So so whenever we see a miracle, Wow, we see a miracle? It's just a glimpse of heaven. I wish I had time to tell you the whole story, but one of our our band members at our South Metro campus, his name is Joe. He plays a guitar. Some years ago, he was diagnosed with multiple myeloma cancer. And watch this. The doctors told Joe that there was no cure and that in a matter of time, eventually his bones would deteriorate, deteriorate and, and he would wither away. Now hear me, especially those of you that are in the, the medical field. I, I believe in the power of healing, but I also believe in the power of wisdom. You hear what I'm saying? Okay. So I think that if you've got an illness or a sickness, you should see a doctor. Come on, nod at me or something like, yeah. Okay. So some of you men that are stubborn, come on, ladies, help me out for a minute. Thank you. But at the end of the day, my hope is not in an earthly physician. Come on. My hope is not in earthly medication. My hope is in the great physician. Come on now. So the doctors told Joe, they said, Joe, there's nothing that we can do but God. But God showed up in the middle of the night. Joe had a dream. And in the dream, I I wish he were here to tell you. One day I'll let him tell you the whole story. You saw a part of it at Easter in the video that he showed, uh, that we showed here. But in this dream, Joe met Satan. And Joe, through the power of God, defeated Satan in the dream. And when he woke up, Joe shook his wife and said, let's go to the doctor because I'm healed, baby. The next day, they went to the doctor they, they took tests, blood work, scans, all of that, and there was no more multiple myeloma cancer. Come on now. And I'm just stopped by Go Church just to tell somebody that if God can do it for Joe, come on now, God can do it for you. If the God of the Bible can do it for them, then God can do it for us. We believe in the power of healing. Come on if you believe that. Yeah. Woo. Watch this. And people say, oh, well, all that's weird and strange. It is until you need one. Well, wow. Yeah, it is strange until you need a miracle. 
As a matter of fact, of the authority given to me in the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus Christ and the authority of his word. If you need a healing right now, lift your hand, both campuses. I speak healing in this room. I declare healing in this room. Come on, if you need a miracle, lift your hands. Come on, both campuses. I speak life over you. We put our hope in Jesus. He is our only hope and we stand victorious. Come on, if you receive that, somebody give God thanks. Yeah. My God. I believe, I believe in the power of healing. Listen, this is important stuff. I believe in prophecy. I believe in the discerning of spirits. L listen, I want you to hear me. All right, they've locked the doors at both campuses. You can't leave. I believe in the gift of tongues. I do. And I believe in the interpretation of tongues. And you need to know something. I'm a tongue-talking preacher. And that's not weird and that's not strange because there have been moments in my life where I have hit rock bottom and I didn't have the words to pray, but the spirit gave the utterance. Come on now. And here, I told you this a few weeks ago. Listen to me and I'll move on. I told you this a few weeks ago. Most Christians don't have any problem with any of the gifts of the spirit except tongues. And I, I'm just telling you. You should never treat something that comes from God as some repulsive act. Be careful how you treat the gifts of the Spirit. Are you listening to me? So whether you believe in that or not, that's between you and Jesus. But when I read the book, come on, somebody. I just stand on what I believe. And I don't believe in cessationism that, that all of these spiritual gifts died with the last disciple and apostle. No. If God did it, then God can do it now. Come on. Both campuses, somebody give Jesus praise. Yeah. Hallelujah. Come on now. Do, do, you, even, do you even know, do you even know why they call us charismatic? You, you've heard that before. Come on. Let's be honest. Both campuses. You know that you attend a church that is labeled in your community. This is why, this is why the church is growing because people are tired of the same old, same old religion stuff. People are looking for a fresh encounter, but you're labeled. Like if you tell somebody that you go to a spirit filled Pentecostal charismatic church, they go look at you and some of your inner circle will tell you run for the hills. Well, you can tell them that your pastor said you can run, but you can't hide. That's good, ain't it? I'm glad I'm wearing this red jacket today. It gives me like boldness. Do you know why they call us charismatic? Come on. You've heard that term before, right? Charismatic. It comes from the Greek word charis. This is it. It comes from the Greek word charis. And this word charis, and you can see it, charismatic. Charis, remember, this is the, the New Testament is written in Greek. This word literally means, watch this, a grace gift or a spiritual gift. So listen. So if you believe that the Holy Spirit provides still today, okay, that he continues to provide spiritual gifts, and then you have a desire to discover the spiritual gift that is on the inside of you, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, you too are now charismatic. 
I just made Thanksgiving for some of you Catholics really awkward. Because when you get around the dinner table, they're like, hey, what church you go to? A charismatic church. Say what? That's all it means. It means a grace gift or a spiritual gift. Let me give you some Bible to show you what I'm saying. Romans chapter 12, flip there real quick. The Bible says this, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, and I love this. I should have highlighted it in yellow. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Let let me say this about spiritual gifts. God, God doesn't give you a spiritual gift so that you can be better than everybody else. God gives you the power of the Holy Spirit and he gives you spiritual gifts so that you can be better than you. Y'all not writing that down and I'm not seeing my phone tweet like you retweeted that or something, but the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts are not so that you can be better than anybody else. They are so that you can be better than you. And Paul says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Watch verse number four. I'm going somewhere. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, okay? So your nose doesn't operate the same as your pinky. You ought to be glad you don't smell with your pinky. Come on, somebody. So in Christ, we, though we are many, we form one body. And each member of that body belongs to all of the others. That means that in order to see the kingdom come on earth, we got to work together. Okay, now watch. Here's the big verse leading into that part of the discussion. We all have different charis. We all have different grace gifts. We all have different spiritual gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your charis, listen to me, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Watch verse seven. If it's serving, if your gift is serving, so why aren't some of y'all doing it? Let me just say something. I'll get back to my notes. It gets really dangerous when I don't stay in my notes. Listen to me. It always, I find it somewhat amusing when the team or the staff will come around and say, you know, we, we, need, more vol- we need more volunteers. It's no wonder that so many Christians feel unfulfilled because God has given you a gift to serve and you've made the decision to sit on the sideline instead of getting in the game. Listen to me. And I always try to correct our thinking. We don't need more volunteers to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. We need more volunteers so that you can step into the fulfillment of the calling that God has on your life. So if your gift is to serve, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. Watch. If it's encouragement, then why aren't you being encouraging? If it's, if it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Do you see that? So charis is just a grace gift. And God has given every single one of us a grace gift. God's given every single one of us a spiritual gift. And here's my challenge. You ready? I want you to discover your gift. You all have one. 
You know, as I continue, and that's an important word before I make this next statement, as I continue to mature in my walk with Christ, I realize that I do have unique giftings. That there, there was a season in my life where I focused more on the giftings that I did not have than realizing the giftings that I did have. And I, I would even argue with God, why, why so and so and so can do A, B, C, D, E, and all, all I got. And it, the Lord just kind of reminded me one day, and then of course in preparation of today of, of that experience that I had is this. God has given you every gift that you need to fulfill everything that he's promised over your life. If God, listen to me, God does not make mistakes. And God did not forget to give you a gift or forget to pull out of his variety of, 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 of the variety of the bag of gifts, the right types of gifts in order for you to accomplish whatever he's assigned for your life. God has given you a gift. And I just want to challenge you. Stop focusing on the gifts you don't have. Embrace the gifts you do have. Use those gifts and God will do great things through you. God will take your very ordinary personality and let you do extraordinary things. God will take your very ordinary talent and let you do extraordinary supernatural things. But it starts with discovering your gift. First Corinthians says it like this. Chapter 12, verse seven, a spiritual gift is given to all of us, each of us. And here's why. So you can help each other. Not so that you can show off a, a spirit that we are not in some spiritual gift contest of who can show off their gift. I don't want to be a part of a church like that. I want to be a part of a church that people have discovered their gift and they realize, man, God has given me this gift to help somebody else. Is this good today? Are we all right? All right. Here's the second thing. Develop your gift. So once you discover the gift, now you got to develop it. And here's why. The reason you have to develop the gift is because it's not perfect when you discovered it. <laughs> Let me say it like this, because I love you. Once you discover the gift, now you got to grow up a little bit. Is that okay? When I, I wish I had time to tell you the whole story, but when I first got saved in 1999, uh, and you, if you were here on Easter, I actually shared a part of my testimony, showed you a picture of the cemetery where I had an encounter with God, like a real life encounter. It's, only two times, one of two times that I heard the voice of God speak to my life. And on that day, I heard God called me into full, call me into full-time ministry, call me to preach. Like I heard God say that. So after that experience, I went to the, the church that my mom was attending, which was a spirit-filled, charismatic church. And I shared my encounter with the pastor and said, hey, I'm called to preach and I'm ready to preach. 19 years old. And he said, you're, you're called to preach, man. That's fantastic. So you're ready to preach. And I said, I am. Yes, sir. Pastor, sir. You got it, sir. Pastor, let me preach. He said, I'll tell you what, won't you come next Monday to the church? I thought, here we go, baby. I'm going to get to preach. He's going to let me preach. I showed up and he handed me a paintbrush. And he said, if you're called to preach, let's develop the gift first. See, I had to grow up in the gifting that I had just discovered. I, w I, wasn't I wasn't ready to preach like I'm ready to preach now. And the anointing that's on my life today will only grow as I can continue to develop the gift. Are you seeing that? Does this make sense? Uh, let me show you a few verses. Ephesians 4, 7, 11, and 12. But to each one of us, charis, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then he gave us the fivefold ministry of the church. 
So he put leadership and systems in place. He said, there's going to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and the pastors and the teachers. Now here's, here's what's happened in the American church. The congregation of people have taken the weight of the ministry, the, the weight of the mandate of the great commission and put it on the shoulders of the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers. But that's not how this works because we're not the only ones called to go and tell the world who Jesus is. We all have a calling, we all have an assignment, and we all have gifts to accomplish that particular assignment. Here it is, verse 12. The job of the fivefold ministry is to equip you all. Come on. Wherever you are, wherever you work, whatever neighborhood you live in, for the work of the ministry. So it's our responsibility. It's one of the reasons that the local church exists is to help you discover your gift and then develop your gift. And here's the last one. Now it's time to deploy your gift. It simply means this. If you don't use it, you're going to lose it. You got to use your gift. 1 Peter 4 verse 10. God has given charis, spiritual gifts, grace gifts to each of you from that big old bag, that variety bag, come on, of spiritual gifts. Manage them well, steward them well, okay? So that God's generosity can flow through you. I'm gonna give you one plug. It's why we created Move Track. Look, we, we don't have Move Track at both of our campuses because we don't think you have enough to do in your schedule. Now, MoveTrack is a great way to learn more about the church, but also to learn more about you. In MoveTrack, you get a spiritual gifts test. Now, I know the, the, the gifts test is man-made, but it's just some help in you discovering how you were designed because God has designed you with the spiritual gift. So if you take any next step, at least let it be this one. Move track happens the last Sunday of each month at both of our campuses. They got childcare, they got food, there's no cost. But here, we'll help you discover, develop, and deploy your spiritual gift. So I'm challenging you. If you want that next step, here it is. Get in move track and let your church partner with you. Have you enjoyed today? All right, one more thought. I'll show you one more thought, we'll be done, okay? In the Old Testament, Exodus chapter four, I want to show you this story here and then we'll close. This is the, uh, the story of the burning bush experience. Many of you, you've read this before. If you grew up in church, you heard this story at a vacation Bible school, or maybe even those of you that are new to church, you may have heard this story told somewhere about Moses at the burning bush. So this bush is consumed with fire, but it doesn't burn up. God speaks to Moses out of the bush. And in this experience, in this encounter, the Lord said to Moses, he says, what is in your hand? On the count of three, both campuses, let's read this together. One, two, three. And Moses said, a staff. So the Lord said this, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. How many of you would say, that's me too? Come on, somebody. If it turns into a snake, I'm running because ain't nobody got time for that. But the story doesn't stop there. Watch this, verse number four. Then the Lord said to Moses, now reach out your hand and take it by the tail. How many of you would be like me and say, now this is where the story would end? <laughs> Lord, I saw your faithfulness, but it's over now. I'm touching no snake by its tail. But Moses reached out, took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. Did you see the question though? And this is important. 
because I want to challenge you with this closing thought. He said, what is in your hand? I think sometimes Christians can overcomplicate what a spiritual gift is. Okay, I'll give you the spiritual gifts test and move track and that'll help you. But you probably already know because it's something that is already in your hand. I think that you undervalue the gifts that you have because some of you, you think, well, everybody's good with numbers. No, they're not. But you are. Some of you think, well, everybody can sing like me. My God, they cannot. Come on, somebody testify to that. Some, if you're sitting by somebody that thinks they can sing, come on, nothing, he's talking to you. Come up in here singing like that. And I, lo- I love people that can't sing. They always go biblical, don't they? They say, well, the Bible says make a joyful noise. Well, you don't have to make a joyful noise in my ear. Come on now. And people say, well, everybody's organized. No. No, they're not. Well, everybody can lead. Everybody can teach. Listen, I think you're underestimating the gift that's already in your hand. You're not like everybody else. God has given you unique gifts. And some of you think this, well, it's just a talent. You know how you can tell the difference between a talent and a spiritual gift? Take this last thought down. A talent is something that I have, but a gift is something I give away. So are you willing to take what's in your hand and release it to let God take something that seemed very ordinary to you and you actually accomplish something supernatural and something extraordinary? I always close with a question and here it is for today. It's just a recap of the last 25, 30 minutes here. Have you discovered, have you developed, and have you deployed your spiritual gift? If not, listen. Give this church at either one of our campuses one year, one year. That's what I'm asking because discipleship is a process, okay? I can't help you if you're only here three times or four times. If you're visiting this church, you think, I'm trying to find a new church, give us a year. And I believe that God is using the revelation through his word to help us, help you discover your gift, develop your gift, and deploy your gift so that you can complete the assignment over your life. Can we just pause and give Jesus some thanks today? Come on. All right, the worship teams are coming. Your campus pastor's coming. Take 30 seconds. Come on, close your eyes, bow your head. Consider this question as we transition.